Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled Divine Revelation. Last week on Words of Grace, I shared some thoughts with you about the eternal sonship of Christ. That was the title of last week's message, and we did our very best to defend that concept, the eternal sonship of Christ, through not only history, giving you the backdrop of the historical debate about that subject that you could find among various factions of Christianity throughout church history, but we shared with you, most importantly, the Word of God, what the Word of God says, and the logical conclusions that you come to based upon this relationship of the Son with the Father. We emphasize that God is immutable, and so if God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit today, then God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And since Jesus is the Son of God, we know that God doesn't change. He had to be eternally And being the Son of the Father, He's of the same substance, He's of the same nature, He's of the same essence as the Father. That makes Him co-eternal and co-equal, because to be God is to be from everlasting to everlasting, and there is none greater than God. So, Jesus is co-eternal and co-equal with His Father. I hope that you enjoyed that broadcast. I hope it was informative to you. And if you have further questions about that subject, send me an email, let me know your questions, and I'll do my very best to answer them. Today we return to the book of Matthew chapter 16, a passage that we used in last week's broadcast, and we referred to this as the single most important question that has ever been asked in the history of the world when Jesus asks his disciples, whom do you say that I am? Who am I? Who is Jesus? That is the most important question that has ever been asked because Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived. If Jesus' claims are true, then we don't have to fear death because we know at death, rather than being punished or passing into oblivion, we know that we will be with God if we be saved by Christ for all of eternity. We can go to bed with the sweet assurance every night that if this night is our last We will awaken in glory with His Father, and all the pain, all the suffering that we could experience in this life, the potential for that is over, but now we are in a place where there is no suffering, no death, no more tears. It will be bliss forevermore because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, I made the statement, if what Jesus said is true, I have news for you. What Jesus said is true because he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. On the third day, as Jesus rose again from the grave, it proved by his resurrection that he was who he said he was. His claims are true. His miracles were not tricks, but Jesus was God incarnate, and his resurrection declared him to be the Son of God with power. In that message last week, I made a comment in passing as we came to the portion of the chapter in which Jesus tells the Apostle Peter how he knew that Jesus was the Christ. And I made the statement that that's another subject for another day. I'll read that statement to you. Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, 
for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, we didn't have time to consider that particular statement on last week's broadcast. As again, I said it was another subject for another day. But today is that day. That's going to be our subject on the broadcast today, that we have had the Son revealed to us by His Father, which is in heaven. So let's read that statement again and then begin dissecting this and attempting to digest what the Lord says to the Apostle Peter. Peter is asked the question, who do you say that I am? And he says, thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and to be the Son of God, again, as we emphasized last week, is to be equal with God, co-eternal, co-equal of the same substance, of the same nature, of the same essence. To be the Son of God is to be God incarnate. And as Peter says that, Jesus doesn't say, well, that's a good guess, he doesn't say, well, Peter, that is very humbling, but that's a little above what my identity is. No, Jesus says, blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, my Father in heaven has revealed this to thee. This is absolutely true, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and God the Father in glory is who revealed this to Peter. So, as we think about what Peter knows, sometimes in American politics you hear the phrase, what did he know and when did he know it? What did he know and when did he know it? What did Peter know? Well, Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ. Now, let's change this a little bit. What did he know and how did he know it? Peter did not, according to the words of Jesus, know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, through his own intellect. You and I as Americans are so arrogant, we are so pompous, we think that everything that we know, we know because we figured it out ourselves, but that's simply not the case. For instance, you all are listening on any number of devices today, and you know how to turn them on, but you don't know how they were built. We are standing on the shoulders of brilliant men and women who invented things throughout human history that got us to this point, beginning with the earliest technologies in terms of metals, progressing into electricity and electronics and transistors and vacuums and all sorts of other things that led to the circuit board and then eventually the technology that we have today. We didn't invent that. We didn't come up with that. But because we have it, we somehow think that we have mastered it. We are so arrogant in our understanding of our own knowledge. It's common for us to think in our country that what we know about any subject is information that we have earned, we have come up with it on our own. But I'm here to tell you today that Peter does not know who the Lord Jesus Christ is because of his own intellect. He also doesn't know who the Lord Jesus Christ is because of his own personal decision. In other words, the Apostle Peter didn't one day just decide, you know, I am going to believe in this Jesus. I've heard a compelling argument for him. I'm going to put my trust in him because it seems like the sensible thing to do. Peter doesn't know this about Christ because he has willed himself into believing this. In fact, Peter doesn't even know what he knows about Christ because someone else has revealed it to him. Notice what Jesus says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter doesn't know what he knows about Jesus through flesh and blood. There's not a person in the world 
that has opened Peter's eyes to the identity of Jesus Christ. Who has revealed the identity of Jesus to the Apostle Peter? The Father in heaven, God the Father, God exists as a triunity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father has revealed God the Son to the Apostle Peter. Now, there are a bunch of Bible verses that I could share with you right now talking about the inability of the natural man to understand spiritual things. And if you're a longtime listener to Words of Grace, you know that we love to share those passages with you because it kicks the feet out from under self-righteousness. You're not a believer in Jesus today because you're smarter than other people. You are a believer today because God has revealed it unto you. Notice this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, the person who is by nature a child of wrath even as others, a person that is yet in their sins, who is not born again, a person who is in the natural state in which Adam placed them in his original sin at the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, natural man cannot understand spiritual things. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Gospel preaching is foolish to the world around us if they don't know Christ. And so we are dependent upon God to reveal His Son to us for us to believe this message that we preach about His Son, this message of the gospel that we have heard about His Son. Romans chapter 3 corroborates this. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. This is referring to man in his natural state. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. If there's none that seeks after God, why is it that Peter believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Because God revealed it unto him. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is me, and that is you prior to the new birth. Until we were quickened, when we were dead in trespasses and in sins, the word of God to us was foolishness, the gospel was foolishness, we had no understanding of God, we had no fear of God, we had no desire for God. And so you here you have this man, the Apostle Peter, and Jesus says, who do you guys say that I am? He's talking to his disciples. Who do you say? That's a plural word. Who do you all, this variety of men standing before him, his disciples, who do you men say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. How does Peter know this? Well, he doesn't know it because he's smarter. He doesn't know it because he's had it explained to him properly in a compelling argument that simply couldn't be refuted, and so he accepts it and embraces it. He believes this because God the Father has revealed it unto him. Prior to God revealing this to him, as we'll see in a moment, Peter was just like all of the other of us before Christ. He was dead in trespasses and in sins. The gospel at one time in his life was foolishness to him as well. But because God revealed Christ to him when he quickened him, when he was dead in trespasses and in sins, Peter sees the reality of the identity of Jesus, that he is the Christ, and that he is the eternal Son of God. 
And so what did he know and how did he know it? He knew Jesus was the Son of God, and he knew because the Father had revealed this fact to him. Now, let's notice here in verse 18 the connection between church growth and building the church and the revelation and confession of Christ. Jesus continues in verse 18 to say, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. You and I might be tempted to think, well, God built his church upon Peter, but Peter himself said in his writing that we are all lively stones. Every one of us is a lively stone in the house of God. And this temple of God, this house of God, is built upon the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And so if you ask Peter, Peter doesn't say that he is the rock upon which the church is built. He says Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. And you and I are all lively stones in this temple, in this structure, in this building. And so Peter's not the rock. What is the rock upon which the church is built? Well, first of all, Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. The identity of Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built, but also the revelation of Jesus personally to individuals is the rock upon which the church is built. When someone joins the church, what do we ask? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins? What are we asking them? The very same question here in Matthew 16. There is a permanent direct connection between the confession of faith in Christ and uniting with the Lord's church. If somebody came before our congregation and they said, you know, I love this church, I love these people, I want to join the church, but then they turned around and said that they really don't believe in Jesus, they just love this place as a sort of fraternity, we would not receive them into our membership because they're not believers in Christ. The church is to be made up of believers, believers to whom Christ has been revealed by God the Father. And so there's a connection that Jesus makes in his teaching between divine revelation of him as the Christ, the Son of God, his identity, and the growth of the local church, building the local church. Now you might be thinking, well, that's Peter. This man's an apostle. Certainly he was a special case, right? This can't be the way that it works with all people. Maybe God revealed it unto him because he was a very special person, but the rest of us we have to figure it out on our own, or maybe some man has to reveal it unto us. Now, there's a place for men to teach you. I can teach you about Christ, but from these passages, I can't teach you to know Christ. I can't reveal Christ in you, though I can teach you things that are true about Christ from the Bible. There is a difference, and we need to make that distinction. But regarding whether or not Peter is an exception or a demonstration of the rule, I want to go to some scripture earlier in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has been speaking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been imprisoned. Some of his disciples came to Jesus to ask, Art thou the Christ, or should we look for another? And Jesus begins teaching about that generation in response to this conversation between himself and John's disciples as he begins talking about John the Baptist himself. Jesus talks about this wicked generation he's in and compares them to people that have been performed to. We piped for you on a musical instrument. We performed, but you haven't danced. We mourned unto you, but you haven't lamented. He says, John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. 
And they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Notice this next statement. But wisdom is justified of her children. We've spoken about that recently in a series on wisdom at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, and it's a passage that we need to keep in mind. Wisdom is justified of her children. If a person is not born of God, God's wisdom to them looks like foolishness. But wisdom is vindicated, is justified of her children. Then Jesus begins to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. He says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And so it will be more tolerable for those cities in the day of judgment than it's going to be for you in the day of judgment. Now, in response to this, he comments on that generation. He says, wisdom is justified of her children. He upbraids the cities that rejected his teaching. He piped and they did not dance, as it were. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. God, I thank you that you have hid these things from certain people and revealed them unto other people. When Jesus said that the wise and prudent have had these things hidden from them, but these things have been revealed unto babes, while sometimes young people have a childlike faith and they understand things more than adults that wrestle with how and why things are. A childlike faith is commended in the Word of God. Babes here, I believe, has reference to people that are born of God. The wise and the prudent of this world, the Word of God, the gospel, the identity of Jesus is hidden from them. Why? Because they're wise in the wisdom of this world. But unto babes, unto those that are born of the Spirit, babes in Christ who desire the sincere milk of the Word, they have had the identity of Christ, the Word of God, revealed to them. Verse 26, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. God was pleased in his sight, this is good, to have the identity of Christ, the gospel of Christ, hidden from the eyes of the wise and the prudent but revealed unto babes in Christ. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. Listen to this. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Now, commenting on last week's subject matter, the eternal Sonship of Christ, notice how if you know the Father, you know the Son, and if you know the Son, you know the Father. If you don't know the Father, you don't know the Son. And if you don't know the Son, you don't know the Father. Now, this is interesting because the nation of Israel thought they could reject the Son and continue their relationship, their religious worship, their service to and their blessing from God in glory. But now we understand through the revelation of the New Testament that God is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That was in the Old Testament, too, but it wasn't as clearly pointed out. In creation, God speaks, there's the Word, And the Spirit of God did move upon the face of the darkness. There's the Holy Spirit. You have passages, do you know the Creator? What is His Son's name? Proverbs 30 and verse 4. Kiss the Son lest He be angry, Psalm 2. There are depictions of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but it's very clearly revealed in the New Testament. The Jews thought they could reject the Son and effectively have the Father, but to reject one is to reject God. In rejecting the Son, they lost all the blessings they had from God the Father that they thought they could keep, 
regardless of how they received his son into this world. But again, notice this connection there with knowing the Father and knowing the Son, or knowing the Son and knowing the Father. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. Notice this next phrase. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. We know God because God has been revealed unto us. Now, in this case, the Son reveals the Father to people. In Matthew 16, the Father revealed the Son to people. And again, to know the Son is to know the Father. To know the Father is to know the Son. What does Jesus say to his disciples? They say, well, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because again, he's of the same substance as the Father. Not that he is literally the Father. He's the Son. But he is of the same substance. And so to see one is as you have seen the other. Those who know God know God through divine revelation, according to this passage. Now, the Apostle Paul would use his identical language in the book of Galatians with regards to his own experience in Galatians chapter 1, and I want you to notice that as an example of this. The Apostle Paul says, you have heard, verse 13, of my conversation, my lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul is reflecting on his own life. He was a very zealous person in the Jews' religion, but he was unregenerate. And he arrested Christians. He compelled them to blaspheme. He tortured them. He executed them. He approved of the martyrdom of Stephen. They, in the book of Acts chapter 7, laid their garments down at his feet when they went and stoned Stephen to death, who's calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was an evil man. He called himself the chief of sinners to Timothy, and that was not hyperbole, and it was not feigned humility. He understood that he was one of the worst human beings who lived before Christ changed him and quickened him because of what he had done to God's people. But in verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, I immediately conferred not with flesh and blood. I didn't go up to Jerusalem, but I spent three years alone paraphrasing and summarizing Paul's experience here, studying directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, notice what Paul says here about his salvation. He says, There was a time in my life before salvation when I was dead in sin, but the same God that separated me from my mother's womb, that's physical birth, called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that's spiritual birth. And then he conferred not with flesh and blood, but went and studied and prepared for his personal ministry. But let's latch on to that statement. God separated him from his mother's womb. He owes his physical life, and he owed his physical birth to God. But in the same way, he owes his spiritual life, and he owed his spiritual birth to God. We have natural life and spiritual life because of God. When Paul was saved, called by the grace of God, Christ was revealed in him. At the moment of Paul's new birth, Christ was revealed to him, and he was someone who knew Christ in his heart. We can read the life story of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and see how he goes from 
a cruel young man who is persecuting the church. In chapter 7 and verse 58, they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, same person who wrote the book of Galatians, and they stoned Stephen. In chapter 8 and verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men took Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. But notice verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. He's dragging people out of their homes. He's persecuting people. He's afflicting people. And so the Christians scatter abroad everywhere, preaching the word to escape the persecution of Saul of Tarsus. We skip over to Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now, it's at this point in his life, on the way to Damascus, that a light suddenly shined round about him from heaven, he falls to the earth, he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And from this moment on, Saul now knows Jesus. He says, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And Jesus tells him what to do. And this man, Saul of Tarsus, would spend the entire rest of his life worshiping, preaching, and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his moment of salvation. That's his new birth experience. It's Saul of Tarsus and Jesus all alone. God the Father revealed his son in Paul at that moment of his life. At his new birth, he is quickened, he is regenerated, and Christ is revealed to him. Now, as we bring our broadcast today to a close, I want to give you just three takeaways. Number one, what you know God taught you. What you know about Him, what you know about truth, what you know about the gospel, what you know about the Word, God taught you that. Number two, there is initial revealing that happens at salvation. The law of God is written on your heart and your mind. Your heart of stone is taken away. A heart of flesh is given. You know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know God the Father. Jesus says in John 17, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. At salvation, we know God. There is an initial revealing there. But there's also more revealing as you grow, as you learn, as your disciple. And though men might teach you about the Word of God, ultimately God is your teacher. Christ is your teacher. You are a disciple of Christ. And then lastly, number three, and this is a little bit of a warning and a caveat, there is no personal revelation that you will ever learn that contradicts the Word of God, nor that exceeds the Word of God. But through divine revelation, we understand the Word of God as we study it and we grow in it, and God teaches us, and the Word of God truly furnishes us unto all good works. If you believe this message that I've shared with you today and you rejoice in Jesus, well, as Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, you're a blessed character, blessed art thou. 
for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but his Father, which is in heaven. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write. Let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at MarchToZion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.